Uh, we've used, or you may know of the idiom of nails in the coffin. Have we all heard about that? It's speaking to an action or an event, something that is nearing the end, right? Well, this morning, our brother Paul, great apostle, my hero, uh, he's going to add three more nails for you and I to the coffin of salvation by faith plus anything. So we're going to look this morning at works, at rituals, and law, okay? These are the three nails that are set before us in Romans chapter 4. And here Paul will use masterfully um, in laying out for you and I what reformers would call solified. How many of you guys have heard that before? That simply means faith alone. And we know that we are saved by faith alone. I want to share a quote by Spurgeon. I don't quote him often. Uh-oh, bye. It crumbled. They need to crumble. Here it is. He says this, Any church who puts in place of justification by faith in Christ another method of salvation is a harlot church. Think about that for a second. God's pretty serious about what he declares in his word. And if we are saved by faith alone, if we are justified by faith alone, he's not joking about that. And that's why he, in his love and his grace, has laid this out before us this morning. So I want to take a moment with you guys, and I want to look over just quickly justification one more time. It's that process in which an individual is brought in, unmerited, right, into relationship, a right relationship with God. It does not encompass the whole process of salvation. It does mark that in, uh, instantaneous moment when everything is made right in a person because of the faith, they're made right with God. That's just as if you've never sinned. Justification, you actually have a righteous standing in the eyes of God. So it does mark um, that. Also, let me say this. If we think back to chapter 3, okay? I feel like chapter 4 for us this morning, it's kind of like a PS to all that we considered in those studies in chapter 3. Um, and by the way, guys, this isn't some new doctrine, we got to be very clear. This is not new teaching. Look it up for yourself, okay? Um, Paul goes all the way back to the books of Moses. So our outline this morning, we're going to be looking at wiping out works, ripping ritual, and leveling the law. And I want to say this before we jump in. I get frustrated with bad theology. I got a little frustrated on Facebook this week. I took down what I posted because I needed to repent afterwards. But... A pastor friend of me, uh, of mine, reached out, um, and there's just some things I don't know. You guys know there are very popular pastors that we have in the world, in the United States here. They have influence over hundreds of thousands of people, really. And there's one brother who has actually dismissed all of the Old Testament. That's not for us as Christians, and he has quite a bit of influence. And it just broke my heart when I heard that. You know, I'm just like, Really? Because we're told that all scripture is given by God and it's beneficial for us, for doctrine, for reproof, for instructions, 
uh, correction, instructions, and righteousness, all of the scriptures. That's Genesis to Revelation. I love that we're studying Genesis and Romans, a little new and the old together, okay? And again, guys, the law, the Torah, the Old Testament, well, we're not under that, so why even study it? Do you guys know that the law is given to us as a tutor to point us to Christ Jesus? It points us to him. Why wouldn't you want to deal with scriptures as it's going to point us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Okay. Uh, Anyways, I don't know why I was going there. I just think in light of where we're going this morning, the argument that's laid out here, some people might think like, hey, well, what's the point of the Old Testament? I'm not even going to bother, you know, reading it. No, (laughs) it is good for us to take in the whole of the scriptures because the whole, the volume of the book we're told is about who? Jesus. That includes the Old Testament. So let's look at wiping out works together here. We're going to look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So Paul seems to say here, hmm, who could I pick to prove that God's righteousness comes by faith and not by works? It's interesting, guys. Abraham is one of the few individuals in Judaism, Islam, and Christianity where they all esteem him as father. What a guy to pick, don't you think? So I want to, again, just consider these verses, okay? So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our father, or our first father in the faith, into a new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story. It's not an Abraham story. So we read in scripture, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. So if you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay, we don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it yourself, no matter how hard you tried or how long you worked. Well, that's trusting him to do it gets you, uh, or gets you set right with God by God. Sheer gift. You guys getting it? 
So, in verse 3, he believed God. So he trusted in God's goodness. He believed God would keep his word. And then in verse 4, guys, no, he didn't work for his right standing with God, nor did he try to earn a rightful wage. No, he took the place with the rest of ungodly people. You guys remember his father, Terah? He served other gods, Joshua 24 too. Okay? That's how Abraham grew up. Worshiping idols. But he put his faith in the living God. In there, verse 5, it says God justifies the ungodly, not the righteous. Who gets justified? Ungodly. So don't ever have that type of thinking. How could God save that person? Oh, they're ungodly. Well, that's exactly who can get saved, guys. That's what our God does. I want to share with you guys Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. It says, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So when we look at Romans 4, and we consider verses 6, 7, and 8 here, to strengthen his argument here, Paul calls now David to the stand. And Paul uses Psalm, you can jot it down, 32, verses 1 and 2, to show forgiveness, covering, and promises not to credit the sin any longer to his account. How many of you guys like Corey Tenboom? She wrote The Hiding Place, hit a bunch of Jews, ended up getting thrown into a camp by um, herself with her sister and family. Rad sister, read her stuff. She said this, and this is, I think, maybe my favorite quote by her. She says this, When we confess our sins... God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. I like that, guys. So this little word here, impute, logimomai, it means accounted or credited or reckoned okay it's an accounting term it's to enter into an account book so what is paul saying here because he uses this word 10 times in this chapter you think we should maybe pay attention to it if it's there that many times there's a point that paul's trying to get across to you and i you see when paul wrote to philemon regarding onesimus he said hey if he's wronged you or if he owes you anything Put it onto my account, okay? So justification, it requires double accounting then. Negatively, God will never count our sins against us. And then positively, God credits our account with righteousness as a free gift by faith altogether apart from any works. You guys see that? Okay, good. I'm not good at accounting, so I'm trying to do my best here. (laughs) 
the point is, Paul is saying here, hey, works are wiped out. <laughs> you can't be saved by them. You can't do enough work to be saved, to have a right standing before God. You know, So he wipes out from our check in our balance list our works completely. Is that clear here? You guys get the point. Well, some people don't like that. Some people this morning are standing in pulpits telling their people, hey, if you're good enough, if you're giving your money, if you're a member here at this church, if you've done your work, then you get to go to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Those people who are teaching that are teaching a false gospel, and the Bible says they're a curse. They're damned to hell. They are blind, and they are leading the blind. Again, guys, that's why we need to read the scriptures. This is why Jesus stops and weeps. I can't imagine having a works-based mindset and being at peace with God because I would constantly be in that place of, have I done enough? Am I doing enough, God? Is this good enough for you? You know the Muslim lives their entire life that way? They're told they have skills. They do accounting too. Is their good outweighing their bad? I know me. I'm pretty bad. I don't know if I could ever do enough good works. Well, you guys get the gospel. But that's the point. That's the argument that Paul's making for you and I. So he wipes out works. Now let's talk about ripping rituals. Look at verse 9 with me. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while he still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. So here's an exceptional argument that Paul lays before you and I. When was Abraham justified by faith? When was he saved? Glad you asked. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. When did Abraham get circumcised? Glad you asked. 13 years later, Ishmael's now 13, chapter 17 years later. So when was he justified in right standing with God? It was before any work was done, any ritual took place. It was his faith that justified him. Solified was a Gentile principle long before it was a Jewish reality. Isn't that cool? Are you guys getting what he's throwing down here? This is awesome. Okay, This is freeing. This is gospel truth. So why was it so important? Okay, the importance then of being circumcised at all. It was not the work that attained that right standing with God, okay, to have relationship with him. It was a sign of faith, not a substitute for it. 
Just like you and I, when we get baptized. Again, there are some people today preaching from a pulpit. If you do this ritual of getting baptized, then you will be saved. That is heresy. That is false teaching. Can't be saved by a ritual, guys. We get baptized. Why? Because it's just a profession to our faith. It's not what saves us. We're just proclaiming what God's already done for us. We're proclaiming our faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul rips off this robe of ritual from top to bottom here. I love it. And then the last one he lays out for you and I, he's going to be leveling the law here. And we like the law, don't we? Let's, before we read, let's consider, don't we like the law? We like laws. Do you guys know that our country in which we live, we're just one of many, but we have a lot of laws in our land. Do you guys know that? Do you guys know that just in the land in which our nation, no one of you is fast enough to be able to read all the laws that were put in place today? We can't even keep up with the amount of laws that are being passed. It's crazy. We love them. I even see Christians. They like the law because, hey, that's something I can do in my flesh. I see a lot of brothers and sisters who have left the grace of God and have wanted to go back to the law. Why do I want to do that? The only way you can do that is to ignore Scripture. You can't read Romans chapter 4 any longer. But it appeals to our flesh. Look what I can do. Look at these laws I can keep. Okay? You guys know that... (laughs) I love my daughter, Shalom. This morning... Oh my goodness! And I'm like, honey, you know what your goodness is before the Lord? It's filthy rags. Let's try from now on saying, oh my filthy rags! (laughs) You know? (laughs) Let's live in reality, okay? Because it is. Even the best of us keeping the law, you're that person doing it all. In the eyes of God, it's just filthy rags. You guys understand that? So let's see what Paul says. Who cares what I think? Right here. The word tells us this in verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, and in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be, in not being weak in faith, 
He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him as for righteousness And then verse 23 says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, for you, for me. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Wow! So God's promise here, guys, to Abraham and his descendants were not tied to their keeping of the law. The Jewish people today boast, we have the oracles, we have the law of God, we got the Torah. The promise was all of grace. Grace, guys. So it starts with faith, and it always has, and it always will be, period. That's what the Bible teaches us. Do you believe that or not? Jesus plus anything doesn't work. Jesus plus nothing, that works. That's gospel truth. That's what the Bible teaches. So if you bought into a lie, a false doctrine, You need to repent. Knock it off. You're not going to find salvation. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did not we do all these things? Look at what we did, even in your name, Jesus. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. But I did these things, Jesus. I gave my time, I gave my money, my efforts. I did all those things for you. But I don't know you. You didn't receive my gift of grace, of eternal life, of salvation. You thought you could earn that. It doesn't work that way. So verse 16, guys, grace. You may be worried about permissiveness, about the way preaching of grace seems to say that it's okay to do all kinds of terrible things as long as you just you know, walk in afterwards and you take this free gift of God of forgiveness. While you and I may be worried about, you know, seeming to give permission, Jesus apparently wasn't. I don't see him ever tripping about that. He wasn't afraid of giving the prodigal son a kiss instead of a lecture, a party instead of probation and proved that by bringing in his elder brother at the end of the story and having him raise pretty much the same objections that you do. He's angry about the party. He complains that his father is lowering standards and ignoring virtue, the music, the dancing, the fatted calf that is there. In effect, just so many permissions to breaking the law. And to that, Jesus has the father say one thing. Cut it out. 
We're not playing good boys and bad boys. The brother was dead, and he's alive again. The name of the game now is the resurrection. It's not bookkeeping. You guys get it? It's because he lives, we may live. It is all him. And it is a gift that is freely given to all people. Well, I thought he came to save sinners. Well, aren't you glad we're all sinners? We all qualify. Even the best of us, you qualify. And I hope you underline this in verse 18, contrary to hope and hope believed. Chew on that for a while. Isn't that cool to think about? So this is chiseled faith here, okay? It's not some rose-colored glasses of faith. It's not positive outlook that denies real pain, real struggle. We're talking here, it's a, it's a wrestle, it's clinging, it's persistent, enduring, it's a holding on to type of faith, okay? And faith didn't come easy for Abraham, did it? It was not an easy thing. This one called exalted father, Abram, we're going to be there soon in Genesis, okay? He was childless, the culture of the day. Um, He would have been a disgrace to his family because he didn't have children. And then at 75, he was called to leave his home and he was given the promise of an heir of his own. Surely now a child would come, but he didn't. Ten years Some of you guys are tripping. Oh, it's been a rough couple weeks. Ten years, guys. He's now 85 years old. And he receives a, we'll call it re-promise. Okay? Confident that God would do it, but still unclear in how. He takes Hagar, this uh, surrogate solution, And at 86, we see Ishmael then being born. But this wasn't a child of God's covenant. It was a child of the flesh. 13 more years now. At 99 years. Anybody 99 in here? Okay. He hears from God again and gets a name change. What does his name now mean, Abraham? Father of multitude. Okay. Okay, that helps. You've changed my name. There's hope. You've changed my name to Father of Multitude. I'm going to believe God promised reconfirmed. Then finally, at 100 years of age, Isaac is finally born. Think about that. Okay, 25 years after God's promise. 25 years. We have begun in the spirit. Why are we trying to be made perfect in the flesh? I'm glad we're going to get there soon in the book of Romans. It's by faith to the day we die, guys. When you first believed, the second you turned to Jesus Christ in faith, you were saved. You were saved because of that faith in him. Period. Don't ever stray from the gospel truth. Don't ever think now that I'm saved, there's more I have to do. Oh, we get to do some cool things as being kids of God. 
That's a privilege and an honor. But it has nothing to do with our saving, our righteousness. You see, hope prevents us from clinging to what we have and frees us to move away from the safe place and then to enter the unknown, fearful territory. So if you look at verse 20, he, the glorified God, by letting him be God. He glorified just by believing. So true faith would never put its own name in lights. It's not about me. Look at me, Father Abraham, right? Through my seed, all people are going to be blessed. Look at me. No, it's all about God, right? It's about him and his grace. He needs to be exalted, guys. We need to be, de- you know, decrease. D.L. Moody, you guys familiar with him? Pastor down in Chicago, phenomenal evangelist. He said this, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Again, verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So Paul says this application here uh, to you, to me this morning, um, we just need to listen up, okay? There wasn't, you know, this isn't just a, you know, a blast from the past. This is our reality. This is truth. So in whom is your faith placed? It's great that we can get this to understand it. But what do you do with the scripture? What do you do with these truths? We have to ask ourselves, where have I placed my faith? Is it in yourself? Be honest. My heart breaks when I hear somebody tell me, well, I was confirmed. I did those classes. I got it done and now I get to go to heaven. Do you know Jesus? Have you been saved? Or have you placed your faith in good works? The Catholic's Catechism, you guys can check it out on page 29 for yourself. You are saved by good works, period. And you have to sign off on that. There's a billion Catholics in the world who have been taught that. What does a Catholic do when they open Romans chapter 4? Hopefully they get saved. You guys know that's why most Catholics leave the church. They start reading the Bible. How about your faith in faith? Think about that for a second. Your faith's faith. Have you placed it in that? Because faith in and of itself is not going to save you because there's many people that have some goofy faiths. I had a person tell me one time that his skateboard was his higher power. You place your faith in what? A skateboard? What happens when the wheels break off? Like, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. 
I teared up this last week. Um, on Facebook, uh, pictures floating around. Um, it was kind of a slander. I, I, I didn't like the tone of it, but it showed uh, these Hindus who were, a flood had come, and they were carrying their big idols on their backs, carrying their gods to safety. Their gods couldn't save them. They had to save their gods. That's backwards. You know, and the point of the photo is just, <laughs> how dumb. My heart broke. How lost are these people? That's their faith. Is something that they've crafted with their hands that aren't able to save. They're saving them. We need to pray. But one last point about our faith. Making it personal. In your ability, have you placed your faith in your ability to lead a good enough life? I don't know where all you guys are at this morning. I don't know if you're all truly born again. I hope so. But I don't know your heart of hearts. I don't know if you're just going through the motions. I get excited when people say, hey, I'm thinking about starting to go to church. That's good. You're going to hear the word. You're going to hear these, these type of truths. That's a good thing. But then when I hear them, I'm thinking about going to church because I want a better life. I think I'll be a better person if I, I go to church. There may be truths in that, but you're missing the big points. You haven't come to the realization yet that you need a savior and that just by doing religious things doing the works the rituals the law you think you're going to be good enough have lived a good enough life to get in when all said and done i don't want any of you guys on your deathbed to say something oh, I, I hope i get to go to heaven i, I hope i'm in man our, our faith in Christ, it's not a wishful thinking. It is a sure hope. You guys understand that? It, it is sure. Okay, You guys can come visit me on my deathbed. I'm going to be stoked. I, I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. So we can place our faith in ourselves, our good works, our faith's faith, our good lives, or it is placed in his provision the provision of Jesus Christ. I hope you've placed it in him and him alone. Only he can wipe away that slate of junk and make it clean. Only he can do that. Only he can give you his own righteousness. His righteousness. So the story we are given is a God story. It's not an Abraham story. So how does your story read then? Is it a God story or is it a you story? So how is a person saved today? Glad you asked. It's simply by believing God's promises as Abraham did. That's how he was saved. That's how you can be saved. Well, wasn't he living in a different time, a different dispensation? You're always saved by faith, guys. Always has been, always will be. Even those during the great tribulation, it's still faith in Jesus, guys. It's got to be more than that. Nope. 
It's all him. Jesus plus nothing, period. So faith and promise, they go together. Just like law and works go together. So when we think about this accounting term, imputed, credited, guys, at Calvary, our sins were on Christ's account. So when you trusted Christ, God put Christ's righteousness on your account. Really? Yeah, open up to 2 Corinthians 5.21. You don't have to do that. But if you don't believe me, it's, it's there. Okay, He became sin for us. And he gave us his righteousness. It's beautiful. In verse 25, guys, here this morning, he was raised. He, he, he gets up again. That's pretty awesome. I love that Easter's next weekend. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll just open up to Genesis or Romans next weekend and just keep going through the word. I don't know, you know, the reality of the resurrection. That's not a one Sunday a year thing for us as believers. The resurrection, this, this is our hope. This is every day of our lives. We live because he lives, okay? He is alive and he is with us today, okay? Not just on a, a Easter Sunday. So I heard of a church in Chittagong, uh, Bangladesh. Uh, where, are you guys familiar with the Jesus film? Any of you guys? Okay, missionaries have been using it for many, many years all over the world. And it's so cool because sometimes these places they've gone with the Jesus film are to people groups that don't even have television. So they've never seen a good Western or an action movie or the notebook. Ooh, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> they haven't they don't they haven't seen nothing. OK, uh, but anyways, this film was being shown there in Bangladesh. They were weeping. OK, as they were watching, they were gasping at what was taking place to Jesus upon the cross and you could they, they said that you could hear a, a hush just came over the entire crowd when jesus was put upon the cross and was being crucified there okay and the the Bengalis, uh, as they watched they were feeling this agony of jesus's pain and the disappointment there of all the disciples and in an emotional moment, one young boy in the crowd at church suddenly cried out, don't be afraid, he gets up again, I saw it before. <laughs> and that's our hope, guys. That's our hope. A small boy's encouraging cry gave new hope to the viewers of that film. He is risen, okay, is the cry that gives us all hope. So before the law of Moses, God's covenant of faith. Paul leveled the law from those who hold to faith plus law theory. Works, ritual, law. Three nails closing for good. The coffin of self-confidence. So, can somebody grab me a cup we're going to partake in communion together. So I'd like for you guys to open up the bread. Don't partake of it yet, but I want to close this morning together. Thank you. So we do this often, and we know as we partake of the bread in the cup, we know that the bread represents the life of Christ. Okay? But we also know when we come to the Lord's table, we're told 
to examine ourselves. And I think if we truly examine ourselves, there's always going to be some type of confession. Am I right? You're going to have a lot, right? So I want you guys to grab the bread. As you have the bread here, I want us to confess together uh, works, self-confidence, good works, (laughs) but for wrong reasons, good works with a wrong heart. We also want to confess rituals that we've fallen into, holding to rituals instead of Jesus, putting you in your own personal ecclesiastical box, being caught up in traditions, running after the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law, for making fun of the way other churches worship. Maybe the things that are different than what you do. And then confessing the embracing of law instead of grace, thinking that life was going to be easy since meeting the Lord thinking that having a positive outlook is actually faith for trusting in our faith rather than in him, in you, Lord. So we confess these things. I know much more could be said, Father, but this is where we stand. We recognize that it is all you. Let's partake of the bread together. As we partake of the cup, we just want to thank you, Lord. We, uh, <laughs> we look up- upwards now. We uh, thank you for your pardoning grace. We are thankful, Lord, for helping us to wrestle, to cling, to persist, to endure in faith, clinging to you, for helping us to hold on for dear life, Lord. We thank you for our God story that you've done and that you are doing in our lives. And we thank you so much that your son Jesus got up again. Let's partake of the cup. Well, Father, I know that your word has told us that your Holy Spirit will bring things to remembrance. And it is very easy for us to fall into works mentality, (laughs) um, traditions and rituals, the law. Would you please, Father, when we begin to head that way, (laughs) cut us off. Bring to remembrance what Romans 4 has laid out in so many other passages and scriptures. That we'd be looking to you, trusting in you. And as we're following you, God, and I know good things are going to (laughs) happen. I know we will walk uprightly. We will be doing those things that please you. We will be a blessing to others. But I want to see that in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters here, just to be 
such a natural overflow of our faith. So please help our unbelief. God, keep growing us. May we be a church family that just really stirs each other up in the faith, that we would glorify you, that we would please you well. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for truth. Uh, Just pray for a whole lot of grace to continue to stand in it. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.